This is Andrei Stolzers and you are listening to the Film Focus podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fulham Focus podcast. Happy midweek to you all. So we have Bristol coming up this Saturday at 12pm. Me, Will and Matt Dom are going to be previewing this. But first, we're going to have a little talk about a very, very good goal scorer for us. Ross McCormack being talked about by Frenchie and Baldo. Take it away, Mr. French. Fulham. Right, I've got Baldo with me to talk about a player who was once one of the hottest properties outside the Premier League when he joined Fulham. He was with us for two seasons, then secured a big money move to Aston Villa and subsequently dropped off the radar. Ross McCormack signed for Fulham from Leeds in July 2014. He'd been captain at Ellen Road but handed in a transfer request, having scored 28 goals, making himself the Championship's top scorer. This was an exciting signing for Fulham, Baldo, wasn't it? Especially as we'd just come down and, and it was a a signal of our intent, I guess. Exactly. You you put the word perfectly there, a signal of intent, because I, as you said, I think top scorer last year, or certainly amongst the goals. Um, yeah, absolutely. And it was, again, marquee signing, I think. Yeah, I was certainly excited because, as everyone knows, sort of my history, uh, my granddad's a Cardiff City fan, so I'd sort of known about Ross McCormack from his Cardiff City days and has been a big fan of his ever since then. So when we got down, when we came down, I knew that, you know, all the players were going to be leaving, like the Hanglands, the Hughes, the Sidwells, the, the lot of them. I knew they were going to. So I was looking forward to see who we were going to buy. And when I heard we were being you know, linked with and then signed Ross McCormack, I was over the moon because I believed that he was the kind of guy that could get, you know, 25 goals for us that season and take, and take it straight back up. Obviously, it didn't quite work out that way. But uh, but certainly when, when he first joined, I was, I was over the moon for it. What was it, 11 million as well for a player in the championship? That's not to be sniffed at. I, I think at the time it was the championship record. I, I mm. may be not, I may not be 100% on that, but I think that was the highest fee for a championship player at that time. I, I feel like at that time, though, did, did we put all our eggs in one basket? Because we probably spent our entire transfer budget on that one signing and then signed the rest of the players that we needed on the cheap and those players probably didn't have a great deal of championship experience between them. Then we used our academy players to to pad the rest of the side out. With hindsight, do you think it was money well spent or would we have been better off if we'd spread the budget across half a dozen decent squad players instead? Um I think I think somewhere in the I think somewhere in the middle personally I think I think I've been on record saying this many times and I and I stick by it. I think Phoenix McGath had the right idea with going with all the young players because we had such a good academy at that time. You know, the under 18s had, you know, just came runners up in the in the FA Youth Cup final. The under 21s or under 23s, I forget what age they were at that point, um, had won the league or come second a couple of times. So we had a good academy and the and you know the quality was there and you want to give them a go, the likes of Cameron Burgess and Pat Roberts and um couple of others who are escaping my name right now. Emerson Hyman was one of them, uh, Lassie Vegan Christensen, George Williams. Lots of decent players who did quite well when uh, Kit Simons came in, or Kit Simmons. I'll go to my grave not knowing how to pronounce that name. But yeah, um, 
Batteros McCormack, though, I, I think it was the right idea to start with. As you said, it was a signal of intent. The fact that we got such a big name player and someone who we know who knew could score goals, I think was I think was a stroke of genius. And then we even went a step further and got him his uh, forward partner from the year before in Matt Smith, because uh, he was a lead. And he was only about half a million, I think. So I think the idea of you know, building a team around them too, uh, certainly up top, was a was a good was a good idea. Um, in hindsight, I probably I probably would have done I probably would have done the same though. Even even if we you know had to go with the academy again. I take your point about the academy, and we did have some good academy players at that time. But surely it's better to bleed a, a, like a small amount of them in at once rather than just going, right, <clears throat> let's chuck the whole academy into this squad and see how they get on. I think that was kind of our undoing in the end. Yeah, like, I, like as I said, the idea had some merit to it. I just think Felix yeah. McGath was slightly bonkers. Like, again, the idea of playing Cameron Burgess was a good one, but playing him as a defensive midfielder away to uh, Ipswich in the first game, not so much a good one. But introducing yeah. the likes of Emerson Hyman and Pat Roberts and Moussa Dembele, it was a fun, it was it was a nice idea, just poorly executed. Okay, well, he was given the captaincy. Um, did you think he was a good club captain? And there was talk after all of him being a disruptive influence when having left Fulham and sign, signing for Villa in summer of 2016, he failed to establish himself there, and he was linked with a move back to us in January 2017. But apparently the senior players at Fulham warned Slavisa Djukanovic away from, from doing that. Um, I'll admit this, is, this was slightly news to me because I, um, I don't know what the difference is between a club captain and a first team captain because my only knowledge was that Scott Parker had the armband in those days. So what the difference is, but you know, obviously I'll go with it. But no, I don't think a player like him should be in a, in a captaincy or a leadership role. I think if he was given that, I think it was purely because he's a good player rather than rather than a leader you know we've had this discussion numerous times uh, about tom kearney is he a leader or did he get it just because he's the best player so no i don't think that would have been uh, i don't think that was a good call if indeed if indeed that was the case um no because i don't you, you didn't see him you know on the pitch being a sort of gene the players up kind of guy so yeah i, I don't think that was uh, i don't think that was that was the right way to go if, if indeed that was the case oh. And, and obviously, it's difficult for us to comment on this because we don't see what goes on behind the scenes. But what do you make of the the um, allegation that he was a disruptive influence off the pitch? Um, I can kind of understand that again. Just seeing big ego, big ego, I should imagine. Yeah, big ego, yeah. Seeing what he was like on the pitch, you know, to an extent, there was a bit of Berbatov, you know, keep calm and pass me the ball. I can sort yeah. of understand that, but at the same time, he was our best player. And he was arguably the best striker, slash centre forward, whatever you want to call it, in the championship at that time, sort of 2014, 2016. He was the best, I think, at yeah. that time. So you can understand why he would want the ball, why he would want to create things. Um, so yeah, I can, again, I can, I can kind of understand that. I know we're going to get, we're going to get onto it later, but I personally didn't have, I didn't have a bigger problem with that because he was doing his job, which was to score goals. Everything else was. It was uh, you know it was just gravy at that stage. So and he didn't do much of that, but he was there to score goals and he did that. So I don't have a problem. He got a lot of his goals from set pieces, lots of penalties, and um, some fantastic free kicks. Has there been a better free kick taker for Fulham in your time watching them? 
I, th- I think it's a toss-up between him and Jimmy Bullard, who was just fantastic. Yeah. And an underrated Simon Elliott, if anyone remembers that name from 2005-06. Um, he was very good with set pieces, but it's really him and Bullard, number one and two. Um, but, of course, Bullard didn't really have much of an opportunity to showcase it. I would probably lean it just towards Ross McCormack, just. Yeah. But it's a very, it's a very close battle. It's quite a contrast between then and now, because these days when we get a free kick on the edge of the box, you think, well, this is a waste of time. Whereas back then, it was almost like, well, we've probably got a, I don't know, a 60, 40, 70, 30% chance of, of sticking this in the back of the net when McCormack's standing over it. And certainly with penalties, you think, right, this, this is definitely going in. Yeah, you felt somewhat confident, right? Because he could score. He could score from everywhere. Um, his goals against Bristol City, the free kick there, and against, I think it was Bolton away. When he was going on a fantastic run, just go. He could score the free mm. kicks from everywhere. Yeah, and you're right about Bullard as well. I don't know about Simon Elliott. I mean, I, I, I take it you're talking more about Simon Elliott's delivery um, into the oh, box yeah, yeah. rather than rather than banging the goals in. I don't ever remember him scoring for us. Yeah, I, I think um, he was good. He was good at set pieces and zero else. <laughs> yeah, maybe he's a bit he's a bit slow that guy. Um, Ross McCormack scored 42 goals in two seasons for Fulham. Um, he hit the net regularly in West London derbies against Brentford and QPR during that time. Which was your favourite Ross McCormack Fulham goal, Baldo? Um, I think the cliche, for, I think for most fans, um, would be would be the uh, chip against Bristol City, just because it was it was a great show of the sort of class that he could personify. And if anyone's seen clips of Berbatov lobbing the goalkeeper, you can see why I sort of made the comparison earlier. It was that sort of finish. But personally, I you know I briefly just mentioned it. I think it was the free kick away at Bolton, just because you didn't. You're just thinking he's not going to shoot from here. He's not going to score from here, and then he did, and it was a great and it was a great goal. And that was during the time when we were really, really struggling for points. So for him to uh, for him to pop up with that was just you know, a joy to behold, as it were. Hmm. I've written down um, the third goal against Middlesbrough at home. Um, you know, when uh, Middlesbrough was still in with a chance of promotion and it was 3 all, and they sent their goalkeeper up and it wasn't even yeah. the last day of the season and it ended up screwing up their automatic chances because they didn't even get a point in the end. We broke away. McCormack did really well to beat his man on the halfway line and then he waited for the keeper to, to get back in goal then took it round him and then rolled it into the net. I think that was like 94th minute or something like that. It was. was, I, that, I, that was I, I remember that because there, there was a thing with Ryan Tunnicliffe as well because Ryan Tunnicliffe was up in support with him and obviously McCormack was on a hat-trick and Ryan Tunnicliffe just saying, no, you take it, you take it. You yeah. the hat-trick. <laughs> that's, that's, my, that's, my abide, that's my abiding memory for it was just Ryan Tunnicliffe saying, now nah, you do it. After you, no, after you. Yeah, yeah exactly. that, I... I, I I enjoyed that goal. And Reading at home when we were 2-0 down, um, I think it was a lunchtime kickoff, and he got the first one, and we ended up winning it 4-2. Uh, but he got the first one back for us. He kind of flicked it up and then hit it on the turn into the bottom corner. I, I enjoyed that goal. Yeah, that was a good goal as well. And also there was a free kick at home to Ipswich. from a, I feel like it was probably his, his furthest out free kick, probably about you know 35 yards, and he just stepped up and put it in the bottom corner. Cracking finish. He, like we said, he was a, a really good free kick taker. Um, so then I, I couldn't really pick between those to be honest, um, but they're, they're all cracking goals, and he, he scored so many great free kicks as well. That it's, it's very difficult to choose one. Um, the only players to score over twenty league goals in the new millennium for Fulham are Louis Saha, who got twenty-seven goals during the two thousand two thousand and one championship winning season. Um, Ross McCormack in his last season for Fulham scored twenty-one goals. 
and Mitro this season, who at the time of recording this, we're recording this on Saturday morning before the Preston game. Um, Mitro's got 23, I believe. Um, Russ McCormack was accredited with scoring the goals that kept us from going down whilst he was here. I always felt like his presence in the side affected the way that we played a little bit and everything had to pass through him almost. You know, he took the corners, he took the free kicks, he just did everything. Um, sometimes when you'd want him to be in the box, he was out wide. And sometimes I felt his presence in the team was was almost detrimental. What's your view on that? Yeah, and I sort of briefly, you know, briefly touched on this earlier. I because Russell McCormack was getting a lot of criticism in those days for basically scoring the goals and nothing else. And again, I think I, I think I mentioned I was absolutely fine with that because he's in the team to score goals. Let him just let him score the goals. I don't care if he's not doing the defensive work. That really should be for the other. 10 for the other 10 players to do um yeah it, it would be it would be like criticizing dan Byrne, for instance for not getting enough goals at the other end even though he's been a fantastic defender you know mm-hmm. it's his job to score goals if you can get him to do some defensive work then that's fine but it shouldn't really be expectant of him so which is which is why you know a lot of people say you know uh, and i was very vocal of this uh when when he left saying you know don't blame me when we come back when we don't score enough goals. And the fact is, you know, the next season we went on and we scored more goals. But key to that was we let in less goals. So was some of that down to defend? You no, know, the forwards doing some of the defensive work. I don't know. Was it the fact that our defence got better because it wasn't, you know, Burn and uh, Richard Stearman who weren't exactly the greatest, but the fact it was uh, Michael Madill and Thomas Callas and then Dennis Anointing and all the other and all the other ones. Mm. Uh, it could have been the fact that we got a better defence. You know, if you'd have put Ross McCormack in that side with a better defence and Kevin McDonald in front of the back four and Stephanie Hansen in front of the back four, would that have done a better job? We we don't know. I personally think we would have been we would have been fine either way. So I'm so I'm not going to be criticising Ross McCormack for his lack of defensive work because that's not the player he was, and to expect him to do I, that defensive work. I don't. I don't. I don't expect him. I didn't mean. Um, you know, he should have defended more. I wanted to see him on being more of a centre forward rather than trying to, you know, be out wide, be a provider, just, you know, be that man in the middle. I know that wasn't really his game, but I just, I feel like he almost got in the way of some of our other players um, and, you know, stifled their creativity a little bit for, for the sake of his own. Yeah, yeah, you, you can make that argument. But at the same time, if he was, he was out wide because he was looking to cross the ball in for the likes of Moussa Dembele, who he formed a great partnership with in that season. So again, I'm not gonna again, I'm not gonna hold too much against too much against him on that front. And that's the other argument, isn't it? Of course, Danny Danny said this to me yesterday when we were chatting about putting this together. He did have a good partnership with Musa Dembele, and they did they did bounce quite well off of each other as well. Yeah, absolutely. You, you can make the argument. I don't. We, we we haven't really had many partnerships in recent years. It's mm. always been like Mitro's been up top of his own. Chris Martin's been up the top of his We haven't had any partnership. You could argue that's one of the best partnerships we've seen, you know, this side this side of this side of the year 2000. Apart from obviously McBride and Helgerson, you know how much I love that. But, <laughs> but, but McCormack and Dembele has arguably been the best partnership that we've had. Hmm. All right, mate. Well, just over a year ago, having left, obviously, Ross McCormack said in an interview that leaving Fulham for Aston Villa in 2016 was the wrong thing to do with hindsight and that he feels like he could have finished his career at Fulham. Do you think that, that, that he's right? And would that have been to our benefit had he stayed? Given, you know, as I said, hindsight, we know what's happened now between uh, when he left and, and now. Um, 
Yeah, because he's sort of petered off a bit since you know, he never really got going at Aston Villa. Then he went to Nottingham Forest, I think it was. Then I think, I think it was Australia after that. I'm not yeah, sure you're right. Yeah. Career part after that. Um, Motherwell yeah, last again, year. Yeah, and again, a lot of it comes back to what I was saying earlier is did he fit the style of play? I think personally, if you'd have swapped, you no, know, take the 2016-2017 team and swap Ross McCormack for Chris Martin, um, I think that's a I think that's a fine championship side personally. So, and then uh, that was the year we that was the year we really buggered up on penalties. So if you'd yeah. have put that team yeah. together, Ross McCormack with his penalties, we'd have been promoted. A, we'd have been promoted a year earlier. Um, so yeah, I think so. Yeah, from our perspective, you know, it was probably. No, we we were fine with it because we got up, we got promoted eventually. For him, absolutely, it was the wrong move because he's not played Premiership football or Premier League football since then. So yeah, he's never played Premier League football. Has he ever I played Premier League football? I don't think I don't think he has. No, no I don't think no, he has either. Which is a damn don't... shame when you consider that he was again yeah. one of the best strikers in the Championship for more or less half a decade. So yeah, absolutely, we we benefited from it long term. He certainly didn't. I think he looked at it and thought, Aston Villa, they're spending a lot of money. This is a good move for me. Let's go to Aston Villa. This is going to be my quickest route back to the Premier League. But of course, we ended up going up that season and they didn't. But if we'd have kept Ross McCormack, would we have seen Mitro come to the club? Um, it's all ifs, buts and maybes, isn't it? Of course, it, but it's a it good discussion always, point. Yeah, if, if Sparta can't do nuts. But again, that's another great partnership to be talking about. Even, mm. though, even though Ross McCormack is, I think, you know, pushing way over 30 at this point. But even for one season, that would have been a, that would have been a great partnership. Yeah, I wonder. I think I could have um, I could have excused Ross McCormack for trying to do it all if he was supplying the balls for Mitro in that partnership. Because yeah. that's that's Absolutely. what we're really lacking this season. It would have been amazing potentially. All right, mate. Well, I, I always I always think a player like Ross McCormack who scores so many goals at, um, at a decent level. Let's be honest, the Championship is a decent level. Why didn't he make more appearances for his national team? He's Scottish. The Scottish national team are hardly the most prolific and successful. How did he not make more than eight appearances in eight years for his national team? Maybe, maybe it's a personality thing. I don't you know. You touched about yeah. being a bit, of a bit of a bad egg. Maybe it's a personality thing because I know a lot of you know uh, the England squad at the moment. There's some talk that some players are being called up purely because they're they're bad eggs. They don't get on with the squad. I think Henry Winters mentioned it somewhere on John Joe Shelby why he doesn't get called up, but off track. It's a, you, you'd have to ask whoever the Scotland managers were at that point. And I try to think, it's not as if they were blessed with great strikers going for that's what I mean. Stephen, Stephen Fletcher or any of the other lot. Like, that's the only name that's really come to mind. Kenny Miller, maybe. But mm. Ross McCormack and Kenny Miller, yeah, a, they're about the same. So, yeah, you don't, you don't just have to wonder why, why it's the case. Maybe, maybe he's not as, you know, doesn't care about his. I don't, I don't want to accuse him of anything, legal issues. Maybe he's just not that bothered with playing for Scotland. I don't know. You, it, it's, just a, it's just a weird one. I, I honestly can't put, I can't put a reason to it. It's the same question for Tom Kenny, really, as well. All right, at the moment, I can understand him not getting in because he's not ripping up trees for Fulham. But a couple of years ago in the Championship, when he was probably the best player in the Championship, he was in and around the Scotland squad, but just wasn't wasn't really playing regularly for them. It, just, it, it does baffle me that some of these players just don't, even get picked for the Scottish national team. No, and you know, not to slight the Scottish national team, they're on a bit of a resurgence. They're about two games away from a major tournament 
for the first time since 1998. So let's give let's give him some good luck to him. Good luck to him. Yeah, good luck to him. I, I want to see I want to see all the British sides doing well. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, well, not England. Let's cut it. I, do, I do not want England to do well. God, that's going to come back to haunt me. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So good luck to Scotland. But yeah, it's a bit of a shame that McCormack didn't didn't get all the um, all the praise and caps that he really really deserved. All right. Well, let's come on to uh, rating his career then. Rate his Fulham career out of ten, as we always do. Um, I would per- I would personally give it an eight. Just because he did, he did a lot of great things, but there will always be the way he left and the manner in which he left will always be a bit of a bit of a smudge on his career. And again, some people will hold the you know lack of defensive work and you know your thing about you know not being a true centre forward as it were. People will hold that against him, um, but you can't really deny that. As you mentioned, he his goals single handedly kept us up arguably for two years running so he was you know not not exactly legend or icon status but certainly um certainly a fantastic player for us so i'd give i'd give an eight maybe lean towards an eight and a half i'm not going to be as generous as that i i really associate his time with the club with quite a quite a crap time for the club really we just come down and we were we didn't we didn't really have an identity at that time we were struggling around we had bloody Felix McGat for a bit, and then Kit Simons came in, and I never felt like he was a long-term solution. Not that this is Ross McCormack's fault, of course. Um, and we didn't really have an identity um, playing-wise until until Slav came along. And you're right, I guess Ross McCormack just kind of kept the club afloat um, with his goals at that time. He was there for a couple of seasons and scored 42. I'm going to give him a seven, but I, I feel like I'm being generous. I want to I want to give him lower than a seven, really, but I, I can't because of the amount of goals that he scored. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm looking more towards the positive. You're looking, you're, I'm looking towards the positive, but the negatives are dragging it back. You're looking towards mm. the negatives, but the positives are pulling him up, basically. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, I think that's a fair way of putting it. And we've, we've done so many of these now where we've really focused on some, some proper club legends. And, you know, those, those players kind of set the bar where I've given eight, nines and tens out in the past. So, yeah, I think a, a middle of the road seven for Ross McCormack for me. Yeah, sure. Good stuff. All right, mate. Well, thank you for that. Let's pass it back to Jay Mack and the main show. Fulham. Thank you, Frenchie and Baldwin, for that lovely insight on Ross McCormack. Now, here is with me Will and Matt Dom, and we are going to be previewing in Bristol City. I'm going to this game, but unfortunately, I'm sitting in the Bristol home section because my uncle-in-law um, is a Bristol City fan. So I've done this once before, and what I'm going to have to do every time um we if, if we score if we score i'm just gonna have to sort of bury my face into my hands and scream as if i'm moaning but actually i'm just absolutely delightful so we'll see we'll see what happens i've always got a bad feeling with bristol away it's always been a draw or sort of a, a a win for them and i just want to quickly talk about the last times we've played them now fulham last time we lost 2-1 at the cottage back in december which was our worst spell of the season losing three games on the bounce with this being our first loss of those three AK-47 came off the bench to get what would only be a consolation goal in a game where Fulham, again, had a lot of possession but didn't do much with it. Um, Had a blatant penalty disallowed at the end, I remember this, uh, from when Cabana was tripped in what was probably one of the worst refereeing performances in recent memory. And Fulham have played two early kickoff games this season. Both have been home games and both have ended in draws, West Brom and Charlton. So... 
some interesting stuff there. And what I will say as well, just the games for West Brom this day or this weekend, they are going to be playing Swansea away and Leeds are going to be playing Huddersfield away. But anyway, Matt Dom, can you tell me what you think of Bristol's season so far, please, mate? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's looking like a very, very typical Bristol City Lee Johnson season so far. I mean, he manages to get them in and around the playoffs um, initially with a kind of hope of automatics, I think. You know, they always start really well. And their current form starts to look like it's it's very typical for them, for them again. Um, they've drawn one and lost the three out of the last four games. So they're, they're starting to hit that patch of form that, that is going to look so familiar to their fans. Two of those were against Leeds and West Brom, which I suppose you can't really work look too much into but they are they do tend to be quite good against stronger teams um so maybe there is some indication there um before that they only lost once in january which was against brentford um and that was when brentford were absolutely on fire so you know you Mm. can't really you can't really argue against that defeat um the only thing they've beaten from the top six this season is well it's us so um uh, and we all, we all we all remember that, don't we? It was an absolutely horrible day, um, and we've had we've had far too many horrible days against them recent in recent years. Um, they've been nine unbeaten this season, which was at the start four wins and five draws, but they lost four in a row in December. So their form is very much hit. That's and when missed. I remember. That's when Sky was sort of losing the plot a bit on the app and just saying, "Yeah, this is Bristol's season of going up," and they just started getting uh, a bit carried away with that run. I remember uh, the kiss of death. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, there's they. I think I think their their kind of season is fair because you wouldn't you wouldn't think that their their squad of are quite good enough to go up really, and Johnson kind of gets as much as he can out of them, um, and it's the same old for them really. Very good, young Will. Tell me about their home form because obviously we're going to be playing them at their football slash rugby ground. What what Bristol like in their home? Yeah, so they've lost six out of 17 home games this season, which puts them 16th in the home form table, which obviously is quite low. So so that's good for us. Um, they've won 41% of their home games, but lost 35%. And seven out of their 15 wins have come at home, which is which means their away form is better than their home form, which is quite unusual. Um, mm. They average 1.5 points per home game. And they score an average of 1.4 goals per game, but concede 1.5. So they, it's, it's quite close, really. Um, you know, 0.1 in the goals there. Um, 65% of their home games have resulted in matches that have over 2.5 goals per game in total. And stats show that if we score first, there's a 33% chance that Bristol will score an equaliser against us. They've kept six clean sheets at home. And the results from their last seven home games are really on and off. Loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss. So, is it, really that, you, is it, is it literally loss, win, like every single time? Is it just yeah, LW, LW? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so, does that mean Bristol are going to win? Because that means if it carries on in that um, oh, passion, they, they should have yeah. a win next. We, do we need to try and get it called off? Does yeah. Someone want to... Uh, 
get a helicopter full of water and just just drain <laughs> yes. the pits. I think I think what I think more flooding is the last thing the UK needs right now. But yeah, I do. Yeah, I think, if, yeah it means, so if it means it stops us losing, is it worth it? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. But I mean, good. Going, well, going back to what you were saying, Don, if Bristol. Are Bristol bottlers? I mean, you, you mentioned sort of like they, they, they're a streaky team, but I mean, it, what evidence is there to suggest from Sato's beautiful stats here that you think that maybe there is some evidence in this? Uh, well, the last two seasons, really. Um, yeah, well, the, season, the, the season we went up. Um, <laughs> say no more. Say no more. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the, the season we went up, they were um, they were second on Boxing Day. They beat Red, Reading two 0 at home. And we were 11th at this point. Um, and after that, I mean, that, to that point, they'd only lost three games all season. Um, they won 13 and drew eight. Had 47 points from 24 games. Were absolutely flying. And then if you cut to the end of that season, they were 11th. And we were up. So, um, yeah, they only won four more games from that point. It, it all went wrong for them. Um, 10 losses, eight draws. Only twenty more points, um, so a real season of two halves for them. And then, then last season, not not quite as spectacularly, but it sort of struck again. Um, right. On the twelfth of February, they beat Brist- uh, They beat QPR two one. Um, their seventh win in a row, and they were fifth, looking good in the playoffs. Um, Fifty three points at that point, uh, and then again they managed to fall out of the playoff places. This time they finished eighth. Um, again, it was only four more wins, but with it within obviously a couple more months of the season gone. Um, what they had four wins, five draws, and six losses in the remaining games, uh, and they they again they their finish to the season was awful. Um, you know, Bristol City fans, I guess, will know more exactly about why it went wrong. But um, the signs with their their current form are there again that it might happen. Um, mm. So, you know, we've we've got a chance to really. I'm sure they'll be their players will be thinking about those last two seasons and and where it went wrong, and we really need to take advantage of that. Yeah, I, I love what stat was written here. It says, "I will history repeat thrice." That's such a stat. I think this <laughs> thrice. I thought I'd leave, I thought I'd leave <laughs> that for the thespian. Yeah, thanks. No, I thought I actually thought I've got no problems with Bristol City. To be honest, I, I just hate how they perform when they play us, but I don't mind the club. I think it's a good club. It's there are some teams in the championship. I just don't really mind even though we're sort of in contention with them you've got sort of like the Prestons and the, the Nottingham Forest and the Bristol I've, I've not been for Bristol at all it's just they always seem to manage to grind something out against us it's a, it's an absolute nightmare what key players are there for you that we should be watching out for that could potentially do the dirty us in this game what young will uh, so Josh Brownhill has five goals and two assists and he's a midfielder and he scored a header against us last time uh, which obviously is frustrating. Hopefully, he won't do that this time. Um, but, he, you know, he's, that's good from centre mid, five goals, two assists. And Thomas Callas as well. Yeah, he's only made 14 appearances due to injury this season, but he's completed 90 minutes in two of the last three games. So if he keeps, you know, playing how he is, maybe we, he'll be playing against us as well, depending. I, I, but I it, miss Callas. Do, do, do you miss Callas? I, 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 yeah, I, 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 I want to sign him. I wanted to sign him. I always thought he was quite good. I remember, I think it was him that made the run against Millwall, wasn't it? And um, mm. ended up just passing it in the end. But, but yeah, I, I think he was always quite good for us, to be honest. Um, yeah, good. Point. And even good if point. 
didn't start, I feel like he just would have stayed at the club and been, you know, floating around the starting eleven. But yeah, I, I do miss Callas. Go I think on. I think their their main threat is uh, good old Famara Dieju. I think that's how I nice. say it. Famara Dieju. I don't know. Um, they're they're giant of a of a centre forward anyway. Um, he's got ten goals for them this season. Uh, four of them have headers, um, and he scored against us earlier in the season. I'm sure you'll remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just a big strong striker who uh, is going to be difficult to defend against. Um, I think I think now we've got Hector, we've got a, a better chance of stopping him. Um, but but that's kind of, I think he's going to be their main goal-scoring threat. Um, and if we keep him quiet, then we might be able to, to, to keep the goals out. Um, but he's a, he's, a good, he's a good player. Yeah, I've been looking at Andreas Weiman, and you go, he's got nine goals and three assists. He's sort of an experienced championship journeyman. Um, he hasn't scored or, ass- or assisted since December, however. And you've also got Nicholas Ellison. That's uh, three goals and an impressive 12 assists. 12 assists this season. Uh, 10 of those 12 assists have come from crosses. That's always a bit scary. Normally with uh, uh, Deodieu or Weiman in the end, you know, scoring the end of them. And he's joint top with the most assists in the championship. So Nicholas Ellison is probably the one I'm worried about the most. Now we'll quickly talk about lineup. Mr. Young Will, would you like to tell me who you'd like to see starting this game? Anything changed from what you saw at the beginning of Preston? Well, you know, everyone's been talking about Kamara and Cabano. But oh, obviously Joe Kamara's... Bryan not being there, of course. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, so Adoy and Christie is the full for me. Um, I-, I think midfield should stay the same. As much as I love Kevin McDonald, Arta had a good game against Preston. There's no denying that. Um, and, yeah, I, I think Kamara... He's been great, and it's so hard to say that he shouldn't start. But he's best. He's best as a super sub, and if we whack him in that starting eleven, we don't have anyone to bring off the bench. Because as good as Knockart and Cavar, they're especially Knockart. He's a lot more technical than physical. So you know, he's better at crossing at shooting. Even though he might not have shown the best of that this season, but Kamara is. You know, he's more about the pace, about the strength, and I think he's best off the bench. So for me. Unchanged apart from a doy for uh, Christie for Brian, even okay. And um, I also like you know, Kevin McDonald. I like how what you're saying, I like how Harry Art is in the, in the lineup, and I like how Kevin McDonald sort of comes on in the 90th minute or so as this sort of yeah. submarine to sort of like thing and keep <laughs> the result as it is, sort of thing. Dom, anything that you would change? I mean, Reed's warranting his role in a sort of number 10 position for you, or anything else you'd like to see differently potentially. Yeah, it's a it's a funny old funny old career, isn't it? The the super sub. I wonder if I wonder if Kamara's happy in that role because he's he's coming on as scoring goals and getting assists and you know, I wonder if he obviously every player wants to start games, but if he's successful as a sub then then, then there might be something in that. I, I kinda think Bobby Reed might be similar. Um as you guys know I I do I do like Bobby Reed as a player, but I think his best performances for us have been when he's come on and opened up the space and, and, and run at players. And he doesn't seem to do that as effectively from the start. And again, it might be because he's, he's got that pace and he's better against tired defenders. Um, but it, he's not scoring goals like we were expecting. But as we, we discussed earlier, um, 
it's allowing Tom Kearney to play better behind him. So is it worth him being there for, for the fact that as a team we're, we're better? I think it probably is. I think we do look better as a team when he's there, um, even if he's not kind of getting the goals. Um, so I'd, I'd leave things as they were. Um, the, the, the question mark, again, as we've, we've discussed, would be Arter or Kevin McDonald. Um, I think I think we go with Arter simply because the way Bristol City play, they're kind of one of those one of those sort of niggly, in-your-face, press you mm-hmm. and then try and hit you on the break kind of teams. And I think it's going to be a bit of a battle that Arter's going to be up for. It might backfire and he ends up getting sent off, but I think he sort of he sort of thrives in that in that kind of in that kind of contest in the middle. So um, yeah, I think I think keep it as it is uh, as we kind of were after Christie came on. Completely agree, and who knows? Maybe Bobby Reed will actually be a bit you know have a bit more of his a bit more fire in him playing his old team in this game, and might actually be a bit more on form than he has been in the last yeah. two games. Uh, I, I think so. Yeah. I, think, I think his main his main problem is that he's just not scoring the goals that we're expecting. He is he is getting chances. He's just not putting them away. And I think there's a lot to be said for the fact that he is getting in those positions to to be getting those chances in the first place. So so it, it's just right. his finishing that's letting him down. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think, but I think like you were saying, it's worth playing Bobby Reed with the form that Kearney's in because if we don't play Bobby Reed, Kearney's going to be playing in his role. And Kenny's been playing so good, um, you know, at, at the minute. Um, another thing I was going to say, Harrison Reeds apparently is coming back to training um, mm. and was had done a couple of training sessions before Preston. For me, I, I wouldn't put him straight back in the team. I, I would keep Arter in there. But w- w- would would you put Harrison Reed straight back in there for for Arter? Or? Not for me. I think I think Arter's suddenly just picking up a bit of form now and um he's yeah. channeling his his sort of aggression into the right way uh, into these games his his sort of his cutting into opposing passes and just you know he, he's just looking like the player that I hoped he would be or, or just at the start of the season when he was he was quite good what are your thoughts on that Dom would you like to see Harrison Reed soon um I think yeah I think best not to upset things while we're actually winning um the other thing is we we don't want to bring him back too quickly because, well, he he exactly. kind of plays he plays a game, then plays well, and then he's out for, a, you know, x amount of games and again. So mm. let's wait until he's fully fit because he he's a good player. But mm. um, but yeah, I, I think it's it, it, just bringing him in for the sake of it. I don't think there'll be any point of that. No, all right, fair enough. And what would your score prediction be, Mister Will? Oh, uh I'm nervous, but um, yeah. I'll say I'll say two one. Uh, I think, like we were saying with the key players, that they've got um, they've got a good attack. Like you say, top joint top assister. I think it was, um, and you know, it's that, that Bristol City are a good team, and we always do seem to struggle against them. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll say two one to Fulham. Um, I think if we just keep playing the way we've been playing, eventually. We'll get used to that style and it will just keep getting better and better and better okay. as long as we can keep up the form. That's the main thing now with this last stretch of games, really. Well, I'm I'm certainly feeling bloody nervous now after that form that you gave me after the seven last home games they've had because they're due a win now. So, I mean, I was going to say yeah. a win, but I don't know what to expect. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I think I'm going to go for a a 2 1 as well. Dom, are you sort of along the same lines, roughly? Um, my my heart says we're gonna we're gonna nick it one nil, but my head 
says it's going to be one all. Um, okay. I, I, I think we just don't we just don't play well against them. They seem to Lee Johnson seems to have our number. He seems to set up Bristol to to counteract us well. But that said, we do play differently now. So maybe you know maybe it's about time it it turned around. Um, I think a draw is actually a good result, but mm. um, we need a win. So so yeah, it's a tough one. I think I think if we can keep them out, then we'll nick it one 0 But um, but they do have some attacking threats that we need to be need to be aware of. So I'm going to go with one all. One all, okay. And you know, I think we take draws for granted away from home. Actually, how you saw they have been to us this season, not the sort of fiery, sort of Slavisa esque sort of away performances that we're used to, but these draws have helped us, and the other surrounding results have been very helpful for us too. So long may those those shreds of luck keep going. Okay, guys, thank you very much to my lovely co-host. We will be back with a reaction from this game against Bristol. And if you like what you hear, please tell your friends about us. We're on Spotify, we're on iTunes, we're on Instagram, all the social outlets. Keep telling your friends about us because we appreciate the support. And we will see you very soon. All the best. Thank you.